Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Podcast. I'm Jake Lutarski, joined today, as always, by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, you can give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at jakeski52. Uh, we're going to talk about the biggest fights on the biggest card, potentially, of the year, UFC 229 from Las Vegas this Saturday. Uh, but before we get too far into that, there's been some interesting news, and I know uh, you're, you're, it's kind of in your region, John. Madison Square Garden got a main event the other day, and to say the least, it's not the main expe- event that we expected for sure. Uh, what did you think when they announced Shevchenko versus Eubanks to headline the MSG card on November? Uh, I didn't really understand any of it. I thought it was a terrible decision. Um, for one thing, if you wanted to just make Dustin Poirier and um, Nate Diaz the main event, you know, you get five rounds there, um, which everybody would obviously want to see. But, you know, the bigger problem for me is you cancel the fight that everybody was looking forward to between Valentina Shevchenko and Ioanni and Jacek to book a fight that really, honestly, nobody wants to see. So you, um, it's just this perception that the UFC refuses to have a card at Madison Square Garden or any big show really um, without a title attached to it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, instead of focusing on making the best possible fights that they can, you know, whether there's a title involved or not, they're making fights that nobody wants to see just to strap a meaningless title. The women's uh, flyweight championship means absolutely nothing. The only person ever hold the title won the title because of a reality show. You know, it doesn't mean anything to viewers. Um, the, the, this is, if anything, this is going to hurt buys, not help it. Yeah, exactly. Well, because 
they were going to do Diaz and Poirier at 155, three rounds. I'm pretty sure that that's what the boat agreement was. But then those guys both went on Twitter and said, hey, everyone, we're fighting for the 165-pound belt, super lightweight division. We're getting it. Both those guys did it. And to be honest, a bunch of the people that I've talked to, um, I even had a different writer submit an article to me this week that basically said, oh, yeah, that's gonna be, they're going to do a 165 title to headline it. And I had to tell people, calm down, man. That was just – it's mostly a UFC – they're just playing the UFC. They figure if they got enough momentum at it, they'd force the UFC's hand. And whatever their strategy was certainly worked because now people are upset they're not seeing that title fight. If you really wanted a title fight, you could have done it that way. So I was confused by that. I was confused by Ioana. I mean, I I wanted to see Ioana Shevchenko too. I was a little disappointed that. Now, one thing I thought at first for a second, someone pointed out on Twitter that, okay, USADA's not announcing potential suspensions anymore. So maybe something happened to Joanna, but you know, from seeing Joanna's comments recently, uh, that doesn't seem like it's the case anymore. So it's just puzzling to me, John. It's just one of those things where um, maybe they'll they'll get it together and get it right. But this event is less than thirty days away, so there's not a whole lot of room to fix it. No, they're they're all but out of time, and you know, like you said, barring some surprise suspension or you know something like that that forces them to alter the card i think what you see now is what you're going to get and you know it's still a good card you know the main card is outside of that that title fight which is the headliner Mm -hmm. you know is really good you know it's four good fights and there are a couple decent fights on the undercard but um you're right the whole decision to what they did made makes no sense at least on the surface Mm -hmm. so speaking of unexpected you know drug test you saw the thing i did want to mention once uh sean o'malley is not fighting at uh, the card this weekend in Vegas. He was supposed to take on Jose Quinones, but uh, then he was removed from the card. Now, again, this is a new thing from USADA. This is something that we're going to have to uh, definitely watch here when we're checking out Rotowire MMA and when we're doing the coverage here. But uh, USADA is not going to announce failed drug tests anymore. So be prepared to see kind of mysterious withdrawals with not a lot behind it. O'Malley came out and said that he tested positive and he thinks he knows what substance it was. He thinks he's got it down. It's not going to be a big deal for his appeal. Uh, but nonetheless, we don't get the O'Malley Kinona's fight on this card. So that makes things, uh, that makes things real tough from a DraftKings perspective because you're down one fight here. We got what? Well, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There's twelve. Normally thirteen. Hopefully, you know, I'm going to knock on wood here. Hopefully, y'all can hear that. We don't, we don't lose any more fights. Uh, but that makes things a little, little bit more challenging. Definitely, if you made early lineups because salaries came out early, uh, go ahead and take O'Malley out of them. That's, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's a pretty. The one thing that is good about obviously it's a deep card, but there's a lot of fighters on this card, even on some of the undercard fights that are you know are pretty well known and. You know, we have a pretty good idea what they bring to the table. So, you know, that should help you make your lineup. It's not one of those, maybe one of the international cards where, you know, the first five or six fights on the whole entire card or, you know, people, the average fan or even, you know, some hardcore fans have never even heard of. So at least in this card, at least on the card as a whole, you get a lot of fighters here that we know a lot about. Absolutely. And we're going to help you with that lineup construction here. I do need to mention, uh, this is the biggest card of all time on DraftKings. There's a GPP that is, it's a $300,000 prize pool with $100,000 to the winner. And that is by far the biggest MMA contest that's ever been done on DraftKings here. And we're going to try to keep that in mind a little bit when we're going through these fights here. We're going to break down the main card, offer up some value plays. But there's a little bit of a different strategy when you talk about a GPP of that size where a lot of people are going to be making a lot of multiple lineups. Um, there's probably going to be some ties. I'd be shocked if I saw one person take all 100,000 of that. And yeah, there are going to be over 32,000 entries in the contest. It's a $10 contest that, you know, I've already got my entry and I don't quite have the bankroll to put 100 in like I would love to. Uh, 
but I'll kind of talk about some of my plays there. But, you know, we we got to move on, John. We got to talk about this main fight. You know, we've been five minutes here and we haven't mentioned the name Conor McGregor yet. Conor McGregor and Habib Nurmagomedov are going to be squaring off for the lightweight championship here. Conor's an underdog, and that's something that we've definitely seen before throughout his career. Uh, Conor's about plus 150 now. I've seen, I'm seeing him right now looking at different, different sports books here. He's anywhere from plus 120 to plus 160. So he's definitely an underdog. Habib right about minus 160. Uh, of course, the favorite, Habib 8,400 on DraftKings. McGregor as an underdog, 7,800 on DraftKings. John, uh, first thing is, how do you see the fight going? And more importantly, I mean, at that price, McGregor is going to be so highly owned on DraftKings because of his name recognition, right? Yeah, he he's going to be highly owned because of his name recognition, and he's going to be highly owned because of his knockout power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Connor, for one, if he does anything, you know, he does have, you know, the power in his hands to end a fight in an instant. Now, obviously, this is without a doubt. If if it's not the biggest fight in UFC history, it's you know certainly one of the top, you know, three or four or five or you know whatever whatever you want to say. Um, but the thing that makes this so interesting is not you know not. I'm not talking about the backstory, you know, throwing the dolly through a bus window, you know, and all that nonsense. As far as just, you know, two fighters in the cage, the thing that makes this whole thing fascinating is just the stylistic comparison between the two. And you have a guy in Habib who is a pure wrestler and, you know, makes his living on takedowns and grinding opponents, you know, down on the mat. He's averaging, you know, just about five and a half. 5.44 5.44 takedowns per 15 minutes, which is an insane number. Um, when the guy gets his hands on you, he, you know, we haven't seen anybody yet who is able to stop it. Um, you know, he fought Al Quinta recently in his last fight. You know, Al did about as well as we've seen anybody do. And, you know, he still found himself on his butt, you know, multiple times. So we're yet to see anybody truly figure out how to defend Khabib's takedowns. And I have a really, really difficult time believing that Connor, who is going to enter this fight undersized, is going to be the first guy because the first guy to stop Habib's consistent takedown attempts is going to be will be the you know the next guy will be the first guy. You know, no one's been able to do it. And you know, Connor, former featherweight champion, he's he's not you know he's obviously a big featherweight. He's not. He's not, you know, a gigantic, he's an average size lightweight, I would say, you know, maybe a slightly above average, about average, I would say. Habib is a massive lightweight, you know, Ally Quinta, he looked, Habib looked twice his size. And, but I will say the thing Connor has going for him is his knockout power. And if Habib has one weakness, it's that he gets hit a lot. You know, he's he was hit in the past. He was hit by Iaquinta. You know, he took some abuse. You got to talk about Michael Johnson, right? Yeah, Michael Johnson. You know, he definitely had fights where Habib has taken some shots on the feet. Um, but that being said, all these shots that he has eaten on the feet, there's no one. None of none of them have seemed to really do anything to him. So while he's absorbing punishment and absorbing punishment. He continues to just walk through what everybody throws at him. Now, will that be different because Connor has more power than some of these other guys? Maybe. Um, so, you know, at least I'm obviously I'm picking Habib and I'm going to pick him in every lightweight fight title fight until he loses. But at least you could see a path to victory for Connor here. You know, if Habib, you know, gets into because you don't know what Connor's, you know, mind tricks are going to do to any, you know, do to his opponents. Habib was. 
open that little open press conference they have at Radio City Music Hall without any fans, which was very strange. Mm-hmm. Habib was, you know, disinterested, and you know, Connor's antics didn't seem to be getting to him in the least. I don't know. Um, we started talking about his dad a little bit. I think that there's maybe a slight thing there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly, but you know, uh, my, I mean, like Jose Aldo when he fought Connor. He looked uncomfortable all week. Mm-hmm. Well, he Jose Aldo, that was just a big world tour with all these different yeah. stops and stuff. By yeah, the end, you got to imagine Aldo's just sick yeah. and wants to get he in the looked, cage. Yeah, he looked pretty defeated before he got in there. You know, I don't think that's going to happen to Habib. Now, um, you know, Connor, and I'm sure he's going to, should just go out there and just go for broke and try and knock him out, which I'm sure that's what he's going to do anyway. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, Connor has, you know, he hasn't, he doesn't have the best gas tank in the business. You know, we've seen it in the past and, um, you know, Habib has shown no, you know, have, has had no problems taking guys down without incident when they're fresh. So if this gets into rounds, you know, four and five and Habib gets a hold of Connor, Connor's going to the ground. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think Connor's best chance of winning is trying to score an early knockout. If he doesn't get the finish, at the very least, he has to try and pile up the punishment early on in the fight just so Habib doesn't have, you know, that ability to, you know, take him down with ease late. But one thing Habib does is he sticks with his takedowns. If he doesn't get the first one, or he doesn't get the second one. There's still a third and a fourth one coming. And there are too many fighters in the sport who don't do that. They fail early. The first couple don't go the way they want them to go. And they essentially give up on it. And not enough guys stick with it. And Habib is one guy that does. So, you know, there's certainly a path to victory for McGregor. Um, I would say the salaries and the Vegas odds are about right, you know. And you're right, McGregor is going to be very highly owned, and for, for no other reason than casual fans who put their lineups in are going to, you know, pick him just because of his name recognition. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it from a stylistic matchup, I just I have a really really difficult time believing that as you know an undersized fighter against a guy you know who has shown who has been able to roll through everybody that McGregor is going to be the first guy to do something you know do something that no one's been able to do before but he's done it throughout his career so maybe he will be able to but Mm -hmm. you know this is all everything all these fights and everything we always talk about is simply nothing more than playing the odds Mm -hmm. yeah John there's so much to break down and dissect with this fight I want to try to get you know I wrote a few things down I want to try to get as much through as possible Um, I do like that analysis that's essentially what each fighter wants to do here uh the size discrepancy it's there but mostly in the frame than anything else Khabib's one inch taller than Connor Connor actually has the four inch reach advantage which is interesting when we we talk about maybe him landing that left here uh this is going to be more of a dogfight, I think than people give him credit for a lot of people will say well okay either Connor's getting the early knockout or Habib's going to grind it out but I'm going to go ahead I'm going to pick Connor in this fight because Connor's I've proven me wrong time and time again. I think that by the time they step into the cage, he'll win the mental battle. I think the size discrepancy is a little bit overplayed, but you know, I do, I do see where you're coming from there, John. Uh, the takedown defense for Connor, 73%. Good. Not necessarily great. I think this is going to end up getting finished by Connor in either the second or third round. What's going to happen is Habib's going to take him down because Habib always takes him down. It's going to happen. But I think Connor's going to find a way to eventually get back up. Maybe he does some damage early. He's got a lot better footwork. So try to, John, can you tell me who do you think Khabib's best opponent was? Is it Edson Barboza? 
I mean, pure talent wise, it was probably Rafael dos Anjos, I would think. Okay, that's um, fair. but yeah, I mean, him, you know, it's you know, him and Barboza, you know, are about the same. But my point was, Habib, he, he fights heavier than McGregor does, and part of that is because Habib's a wrestler and Connor's a striker, so you're yeah. not gonna, you know, that's not, you know, grinding people out isn't Connor's strength, so he doesn't do it as often, so you know, he doesn't earn that reputation. But there's just there's no fighter in the sport in any weight class who can clamp themselves to his opposition like Khabib can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much. I, and I see where you're coming from, and that's going to be very tough. But the way I just I can envision this, it's almost as if I dreamt it, John. Uh, what's going to happen is you know, Connor's going to get up somehow from a takedown, probably the second or third round. It's going to have a little bit of a scramble mentality to it. But as he's getting up and pulling away, I think that's when he's going to land the left. That's what, that's when th- that's going to happen. And then we'll see, you know, if Habib takes a couple other shots early on to see if that can compound. I definitely don't agree with Connor's constant assertion that there's a glass chin. On Khabib, he's going to take either one massive shot or, or a combination of shots to finish Khabib because the Michael Johnson, I mean, Johnson is powerful, all right? And he starched Khabib. And Khabib kind of shook, he was wobbled for a little bit. He shook it off and then went straight back for the takedown. Now, if Connor connects at that same punch, I, I'm afraid it, it could put Habib's lights up, but it's more likely to happen if it's in the middle round. So I don't necessarily like taking Connor on DraftKings because he's so high owned. Basically, you're going to know if you're in contention for that 100K before this fight starts because I would guess that McGregor has 70% ownership or greater, especially as an underdog, um, giving you giving you more space to do pick other big favorites in your lineup. I'm going to take McGregor. It's very, very close, John. I think we you can go either way with this. You might want to do 60-40 exposure either way if we're talking from a DFS standpoint because there's a lot of outcomes that can happen in this fight. But I look at Connor. You know, there's questions about the cardio. Yeah, I get it. He did box 10 rounds with uh, with arguably the greatest boxer of all time. Did fade cardio wise in in that, but uh, you know that's a it's a different obviously a different style. He's been going on the striking. He's got, in my opinion, Connor has better uh, footwork on the feet than at least any of Habib's recent opponents. So he's going to be circling away and he's going to find different creative ways to avoid the takedown. Now that doesn't mean he's not going to get taken down because I think Habib will absolutely take him down. There's no question in my mind that that's going to happen. But I think Connor, just like in the Chad Mendes fight, he'll be able to weather the storm and eventually get back up. And there is going to be a shot in there, or two, or three, that that gets to Habib. And this is a pick, John. I struggled with this pick so much. You know, for the first month or so after this fight was announced, I'm thinking, okay, this has got to be, this has got to be Habib. But the more I look at it, the more I see that. You know, they're not going crazy with this around the world media tour. I mean, I actually haven't seen as much promotion for this fight as I expected, which leads me to believe Connor's training. He's he knows this is a dangerous fight and he's got uh, and he's got the right plan. And I think the right mindset. We'll see if he wins a mental battle. They're going to do a press conference with a crowd on Thursday in Las Vegas, to my knowledge, at least that's what I last saw. They're going to let, they're going to let, uh, it's going to be open to the public. So that's going to be very interesting. See how they both look a good insight. Of course, watch Wayne's Habib's had problems before, but I think from everything I've been following, or at least the weight he says he was, he should have no problem making this limit, man, John, this is going to be a great fight and I just can't wait for it. Yeah, it is a great fight. And you know, I, I, we, you know, we talk about some title fights where, you know, we both admit we would be flat out shocked if, you know, so-and-so won. That's not the case here. You know, Connor is certainly a live underdog. I just, I've seen enough from Habib that he's kind of entered that, you know, he's at that point for me at least where, you know, you pick him 
you know, until he loses, you know, Mighty Mouse was that way for a while. You know, there are certain guys, John, you know, probably John Jones. I'm probably, you know, when he comes back, I'll probably roll with him until someone finally knocks him off. And, you know, I, we've seen enough from Habib recently that, that uh, he's kind of in that, you know, in that territory for me but connor certainly has a path to victory and um you know this is not going to be a boring fight i'd be i'd be really surprised if you know this doesn't live up to the expectations that we're all looking for yeah i mean Habib, connor's kind of a counter striker at times Habib's not going to run at him with fists that's for sure it's going to be interesting if connor can use the footwork and set up the angles that he needs to get the offensive striking he's he needs nobody's going to get starched in 15 seconds like the aldo fight i just don't think that's going to happen it's going to be I an agree. excellent fight john uh the outs to finish though Last time I checked, minus 325, which is a pretty big number. Somebody's finishing someone, according to Vegas. I wouldn't be dead shocked if it went to a decision, in which case it'd be great for both men on DraftKings. Uh, a lot going on there. Uh, but but we can agree that this is definitely going to be a great fight, and hopefully we gave you guys some good banner from both sides of the coin here, uh, especially in terms uh, of DraftKings ownership here. Now, you could argue that Nurmagomedov is arguably the better GPP play because he'll have the lower ownership percentage and technically he's the favorite so you can take that can be a takeaway uh, in terms of your DraftKings preparation but yeah there's a lot going on here um, it's I just can't wait for this fight it's going to be a good one we could talk about this all show John but we do got to hit the co-main event it's a lightweight matchup interesting same uh, situation as the main event so I've always theorized from the beginning that if something were to happen to any combatant in the main event we'd have either Tony Ferguson or Anthony Pettis potentially step in. So that'll be something to watch, too, at Friday morning's weigh-ins. But the card we have right now, awesome co-main event. Tony Ferguson, Anthony Pettis. Ferguson, big-time betting favorite, 9,300. Pettis, 6,900. Ferguson, a minus 360 favorite. Pettis, plus 300. Odds to finish is really close to even money, but a slight edge towards the finish at minus 120 here. Uh, this one was pretty commonly picked. Uh, I'll disclose the staff pick results in a second, but I want to hear your breakdown first. Uh, I'm pretty sure my breakdown is pretty much, I think, what you'd hear from most, and that's, you know, I don't want to know if I would classify it as an easy win, you know, in like in the sense that Tony Ferguson is going to roll over Anthony Pettis, but um, there's nothing I've seen from Tony Ferguson in the last, I don't know, five-ish years or so, which was the last time he lost the fight, um, to lead me to believe he's in any trouble here. Um, Tony Ferguson's won 10 fights in a row. Um, he defeated Kevin Lee almost exactly a year ago for the um, interim UFC lightweight title. Um, tore up his knee walking across a parking lot doing um, some fight promotions. Is, and- there, is there any concern there? He's kind of coming back relatively quick. Uh, for you know, tearing several ligaments in his knee. I mean, is that any level of concern for you? I don't think so. And um, I and I'm I probably I've always been down on Pettis. He's been a little better lately, but um, the Chiesa I, win was good. I mean, it was. And but a I, big size advantage and and still got it done. He did, but I still I don't think I still don't think he's the Showtime Pettis that. You know, we come to, you know, the guy who was on the Wheaties box, you know, when all of a sudden done, uh, Anthony Pettis is still three and five in his last five fight in his last eight fights. Um, he still looks hesitant to me. He doesn't look like he's reacting when he's in the cage. He still looks like he's thinking a bit. Now, it was better in the case of fight. You know, he certainly looked better than he did, you know, in some in you know, whether it was the Dustin Poirier fight or the Max Holloway fight when he really, really struggled. But, um. I'm I'm not I'm still not sold that you know Pettis is back to the is the guy we got used to seeing for so many years and you know it's it's really crazy that Tony Ferguson has won ten fights in a row now 
and he's not fighting. He's still yet to fight for an official title. You know, he fought for the interim title, but well, they tried to make titles. him and Khabib four times now, and it, it fell through every least, single time. It has, and um, Dana White, you know, has essentially gone on record and said he's not going to book that again um, because of you know the seemingly terrible luck circumstances around the two. But if they both win bad. on Saturday, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see Saturday, that fight. I mean, Dana White says a lot of stuff that, you know, he ends up back. John Jones on. was never going to headline a card yeah. pay-per-view if the they, rest of if his they life. Don't win, if they both win on Saturday, I don't see how you can do anything else. Mm-hmm. I so, wish they would have actually fought because that would have given us a lot better insight on how the main event was going to go. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it would. And, you know, Ferguson's legit. And he's one of the few fighters. There are not many who have legitimately gotten considerably better as he's gotten older. Um, he'll be 35 years old in February, and he's gotten much, much better the last, I don't know, four or five years. So as he's gained more experience, he has got he's become a considerably better fighter. Usually it's, you know, guys get older, you know, they slow down a bit. He's been the opposite. Um, he's a very, very diverse offensive game. He can take punishment when he has to. You know, he, he got beat up pretty good by Kevin Lee before he won that fight. Um, so, you know, Ferguson is, he's just a really, really good all around fighter. Um, I think UFC.com right now, their rankings don't mean a whole heck of a lot. I think they have him as like the number 12 or number 13 pound for pound guy in the world, which mm-hmm. is, you know, quite a number for a guy who's still yet to fight for an official title. Yeah. Um, there. um, sometimes a slow starter. You did mention that. I mean, Lando Venata almost got him back, uh, yeah. in, in his return a couple years back. So that was a little bit concerning, but I don't think that's going to sway my decision here necessarily with that. No, this. I mean, this is a three-round fight. I mean, I think a five-round fight would favor Ferguson even more, probably. Um, but you know, I don't. I don't really think the fact that it's a three-round fight is going to impact it a whole lot. I guess if you know you're really in a salary jam, maybe you can make a case that Pettis has some value at sixty-nine hundred simply because he's a freak athlete. Yeah. You know, he hasn't shown it much as much the last couple of years but you know there was one point where you know you would you know you'd go out there and say he's one of the literal literal two or three best athletes in the whole sport so i mean you know the showtime kick on benson henderson and all that so you know maybe you want to make it you know make a case that because he's so you know such a low salary and a former champion you know maybe he has some value but you know there's nothing i've seen in the last several years that you know, would lead you to believe that he's capable of beating Tony Ferguson right now. Yeah, so I'll, I'll try to put a little bit of a DFS slant on this as well. Um, I'm going to pick Ferguson in the fight straight up. This one was a near unanimous selection. I think only one of seven of our pickers in the staff picks picked uh, went with Pettis. Um, but here's here's my deal from the DFS standpoint. All right, Ferguson's ninety three hundred dollars on DraftKings. He's a minus three sixty favorite. Vicente Luque is ninety four hundred on DraftKings, and he's a minus eight hundred favorite. So do the math. I just don't see myself using a lot of Ferguson on DFS when someone that's that much of a lock is right next to him in terms of salary. Um, So for that reason alone, I'd be more likely to pivot. And Pettis, I mean, a salary relief option. I think this is a little bit closer than the betting odds and salaries indicate for sure. And like you said, John, if we see Showtime back, I mean, 6,900, if Showtime wins, uh, I mean, and you want a shot at that $100,000, he has to be in your lineup, essentially, because he's clearing the way for you to do four, maybe five betting favorites the rest of the way out. 6900 is the second cheapest fighter on the card. It's probably the cheapest we'll ever see Pettis unless unless something gets way out of hand. And I, I don't know, maybe if Pettis... Um, 
Well, I guess if you fought Habib in the main event, if something were to happen, I'm just, you know, obviously rampant speculation here. One of the cheapest we'll ever see, Pettis, but also one of the best $6,900 fighters you'll ever see in DFS. He is. And you actually, you made a good point with the Vicente Luque thing. You know, guys who, and women, when you get, you know, Vegas odds, you know, up in the minus six, minus seven, minus eight, minus $900 range, those guys rarely lose. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have, you know, I don't have an exact number for you, but fighters who enter fights as that heavy of a favorite rarely lose. So, it, you know, if you can look at, you know, you're comparing and contrasting Ferguson and Luke, given, you know, the caliber of opponent, you know, you certainly would make the argument that Luke would be the better play because guys who are such massive favorites rarely lose. And if you could get, you know, that, you know, a guy who's a minus seven or eight hundred favorite against the guy who's a minus three sixty favorite at essentially the same price, it's, you know, essentially a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's where I'm coming from. Luke is the backbone of uh, the lineup. You guys are all going to see win a hundred grand this weekend um, for me. But uh, I, so that's the reason I'm staying away from Ferguson. But again, Ferguson's not a bad pivot move in those big GPPs. You kind of got to zig when other people zag and do some things that are a little bit funky that you wouldn't that you definitely wouldn't do when you're in your head. All right, next up, we've got an excellent light heavyweight matchup here between Ovince St. Prue and Dominic Reyes. Reyes is actually a pretty big favorite here, 8,900, uh, OSP 7,300 on DraftKings. Reyes minus 225, OSP plus 185. Big thing with this one is the fights are, uh, the odds to finish here are minus 515. That's a big time number. Uh, Vegas definitely likes this one ending. There's only 12 fights on this card. Um, I'm not necessarily sure I see five fighters that are going to get finishes. This is one of them for sure. So DFS-wise, you want to get a piece of this. But uh, this one was a little bit mysterious to me at first. I eventually kind of talked myself into it. Uh, You know, Reyes only has three fights in the UFC. He's got nine fights overall, eight knockouts. Um, You know, not not, not much of a crazy resume here. Um, But why is everybody on Reyes, John? Can you you explain that to us? Well, I think certainly everything is on. He's... he's developed the following because of his knockout power um he's had nine career fights six of the nine wins have been via knockout and um you know this is essentially trying to break down this fight it's a it's a breakdown and it's between reyes's inexperience and the underachieving essentially um of ovin st prue and you know st prue is a world-class athlete um he played division one football at the university of tennessee but he's not a world-class mixed martial artist um he really just hasn't been able to pick up the finer aspects of the sport. Um, OSP will have, you know, brilliant performances and then he'll come back out following it and follow him up with terrible efforts. So, you know, he's struggled with inconsistency. Um, he has, you know, he'll have times where he looks like a world beater. Um, his submission win over Tyson Pedro um, in June with a gorgeous armbar in under three minutes was amazing. You know, but before that, he was submitted in the first round of his own right by Alir Latifi. So OSP is very inconsistent. And the thing with St. Prue is he'll be 36 years old in April. So, uh, you know, he's not one of these younger fighters who, you know, has room for growth and anything like that. Um, but uh, to answer your first question, Reyes is developing a big following because of his knockout power. Um, he's really inexperienced, nine professional fights. Um, quite honestly, against nine guys, you know, the average fan hasn't heard of. So, you know, this is a, definitely a hundred percent step up in competition. Um, you know, he's going against a guy who 
if you make a mistake, can beat you. So while OSP doesn't consistently bring it every single time he comes out there, if you leave your arm exposed, you leave your neck exposed or whatever, you know, St. Prue has the ability to put you out. So Reyes is going to have to be careful in that aspect. But one thing about St. Prue is that he always seems to get hit. Um, even even in fights that he wins, he seems to take punishment before it happens. Um, so, you know, OSP lands 2.6 strikes per significant strikes a minute. He absorbs two and a half. So, you know, that's not the gap you're looking for, you know, in, you know, a really, really high end fighter. So, you know, I took Reyes, um, you know, simply I'm willing to bet, you know, on his future growth as opposed to what we've seen from OSP in the past. I don't think it's realistic at this point to expect St. Prue, you know, to run off that streak of four or five or six wins that he's going to need to get into title consideration. So, you know, it's pretty much just going with, you know, Reyes's futures talk as to what OSP is now, but I'm not crazy about Reyes at 8,900. That seems to be a pretty heavy price for me. And, you know, OSP at 7,300, if, you know, you want to bet that Reyes will make a mistake, you know, there are worse ideas than that. Yeah, Reyes 28. You know, I guess it's always possible with the inexperience. Uh, just under seven significant strikes landed per minute, uh, and his fights have never been out of the first round in the UFC. So he's been very dominant. I'm starting to see that a little bit. And the more I watched him, and, and you know, again, OSP being so inconsistent, I went ahead and picked Reyes. Uh, this is one where I thought was a little bit closer than the, the numbers say because of the experience factor. But Reyes is in my DraftKings lineup because I need that knockout power. He's got that knockout power. You want that finish bonus on DraftKings. And for me, I, I picked Reyes in this one. It's a little bit narrow. The thing that surprised me is that this one was unanimous across all seven uh, staff picks guys that I do the column for. Uh, this one was a unanimous pick. You can, of course, check out the full results on the website. That's a free column along with all the other MMA stuff that we do here. Uh, so definitely I'm on Reyes too. Uh, I think he, he's just a cornerstone type of guy in a DraftKings lineup. And we'll eventually get to some underdogs you can use to afford him here. But here's another fight where I see a finish, uh, John. And that's this heavyweight matchup between Derek Lewis and Alexander Volkov. And I'll be honest with you, John. At first, I, I, the first time I ran through this outline, I'm thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going to pick Lewis for this fight. I think he's got the power here. But as I started to look through the research, I started to find what and who Alexander Volkov is, and I definitely changed my mind, and I saw where that swing was, and I decided to get my underdogs on DraftKings elsewhere. Volkov is 8,700 on DraftKings. Lewis is 7,500. The odds are a little bit closer than that. Volkov, 175, minus 175 favorite. Lewis, plus 155. The odds to finish on this one, surprisingly low for a heavyweight fight, still expects to get done, but minus 130 here. Again, I wanted to pick Lewis, but I started doing the research on Volkov, and my mind quickly changed. Was it the same for you? Yeah, you know, it's it's really two main things for me. You know, the first one is the back injury that Derek Lewis has been dealing with for a couple of years now. You know, he really never knows when it's going to seem to flare up. You saw in his fight with Francis Ngannou, which he won that, you know, Lewis essentially said, you know, he couldn't move. And the only reason he won that fight was because Ngannou did even less than he did. You know, Ngannou stood around for 15 minutes and did absolutely nothing. So um, Lewis ended up winning that fight. But it's risky when you never know, you know, when a f injury like that is going to flare up. But, you know, the, the big thing, and I, I really, as far as I'm concerned, this is really the only stat in this fight that you really need to look at is... We all know Derek Lewis is a knockout artist and brings nothing else to the table. You know, I don't think anybody would argue that. And Alexander Volkov has 36 professional fights and has been knocked out once. So, 
you know, you're betting on Lewis, any bet on Lewis or putting him in your own lineup or whatever, you know, you're betting on a knockout at some point. And, you know, he's going up against the guy who, while still relatively unknown as far as UFC circles, um, is a former Bellator heavyweight champion, has been knocked out once in 36 career fights. So, you know, the odds are not in Lewis's favor. And, you know, this is Volkov sneaky. He is a really, really, really close to earning a heavyweight title shot. Now, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in that, you know, whatever happens with Daniel Cormier and both of his belts and where he wants to fight next and all that stuff. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot of stuff going around before that would happen. But, you know, Volkov is realistically only maybe two, maybe this one and maybe one more big one away from getting a title shot. So mm-hmm. he might not be well known now, but I, I think there's a pretty decent chance that 12 months from now that this guy's fighting for a belt. Yeah, very much so, and I and I agree with you. And he's only twenty nine years old, so there's actually, you know, he's kind of technically before that that main main athletic prime. But he's got thirty six fights under his belt. Again, not a ton of wear on the tires. Only been knocked out once. His knockout against Fabricio Verdum in his last fight. I think a lot of people uh, forgot about that fight. That might have been one of the international cards, or uh, yeah, just uh, but yeah, or it was it was in the it was a London card. So. Uh, you know, it might have went under the radar, but back-to-back knockouts over Verdum and Stefan Struve. I mean, Struve is not quite what you know elite heavyweight competition. But I definitely agree with you. This guy is a monster, John. He's six. He's listed at six seven on Sherdog. I, I think you can give him six eight friendly. Uh, you know, two hundred forty pounds. So he's not cutting like Lewis is to get to heavyweight. But I think Lewis is going to have a little bit of a tough time. You know, reaching him a little bit. He's going to have better footwork than. Um, than most heavyweights that Lewis has faced. And, you know, I guess I'm big on footwork today. I don't know what it is. And he's also got some ground game. He's got three submission victories. He's a, he's a formidable you know wrestler, grappler. He's pretty close to a complete heavyweight. And give him a couple years, and he's going to be immediately affecting that heavyweight picture. When, once DC retires, we'll see what Bones does with his weight class. But Volkov is going to be affecting that heavyweight title picture. You know, I was maybe mixing him up with some other uh, some other heavyweights at first when I first thought, oh, man, I'm going to go Lewis on this fight. And, you know, the staff picks were unanimous on this one, too. There were two unanimous staff picks. Reyes was one. Volkov was another one. Uh, after I watched some of the film, got a good refresher on who Volkov is. The decision was easy for me. Yeah, this seems like an especially bad matchup for Lewis in the sense that Volkov is a big, long guy that throws a lot of kicks. Mm-hmm. And if Lewis isn't, and if Lewis can't get inside and throw those bombs, you know he's not going to win. You know, uh, even you know you can ask Derek Lewis himself. You know, he's he's not the kind of guy who is going to impact you know the heavyweight title picture. He's the kind of guy who is going to continue to earn high profile fights mm-hmm. because of his style of fighting. So, you know, he, he's the kind of guy who racks up knockouts. And, you know, as we know, that's almost as important uh, at times as winning the fight. So, um, but the Volkov is really, really good. Not a big known fight. And actually, you know, the, I think in, on this card, you know, I think having a fellow Russian or, you know, from that kind of Dagestani, you know, from that part of the world in Habib fighting on this card, I actually think helps Volkov. You know, he gets, he gets his name and, you know, he gets you know, exposure crowd support too. Yeah. He gets it. Yeah. He gets exposure in an area 
where, you know, if he was, you know, the Verdum card in London, like you mentioned on that card, you know, probably wasn't getting the exposure he deserved. But now, you know, with, a, you know, one of his fellow countrymen, you know, over on that side of the world on the same card headlining the event, you know, I think he's going to become a bit more popular with casual fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right on. So uh, we're in agreement on this one, as is our staff. Uh, Volkov, an excellent DraftKings play. Definitely want to get a piece of this fight one way or another. I couldn't fault you too much for going Lewis as, uh, as you know, some salary relief play. But, I mean, I mean who do you think has got a better chance of winning, OSP or Derek Lewis? OSP. Yeah, and OSP will save you $200 on the DraftKings lineup. So I think we can we can agree on that. A couple more main card fights you want to talk about. This one gets the main card started. Uh, it's a women's strawweight matchup between Michelle Waterson and Felice Herrig. Real tight on the betting odds. Herrig, Herrig a minus 130 favorite. Uh, Waterson plus 110 underdog. So that could always change in a day or two. DraftKings salaries reflect that. Herrig 8,300. Waterson 7,900. John, for me, this fight comes down to Waterson being undersized and Herrig's up for body strength is it the same way for you exactly correct i'm a little worried about waterson um she made her impact in invicta as an atomweight champion which is 105 pounds and she's just she's having a hard time you know it's hard to say that a woman who weighs 115 pounds you know 115 pounds you know is much bigger but she's just she's having a hard time with bigger more physical opponents that's exactly what herrig is yeah felice herrig is not the most technical fighter in the world but she has as much pure upper body strength as, you know, maybe any fighter in the division other than Jessica Andrade. So, mm-hmm. you know, Harry can has the ability, kind of like Habib in the sense that, you know, she Habib is more a little more technical about it. But Harry has the ability to just wrap her arms around you mm-hmm. and just throw you to the mat. Exactly. And you know, it's not pretty, and you know, it's she's not gonna you know, be overly technical and, you know, how she keeps you pinned to the ground, but she has that upper body strength to get her opponents to the mat and, you know, grind out around, you know, she could get, mm-hmm. if she gets waters into the mat with, you know, three and a half minutes left in a round, she has the upper body strength to keep Waterson pinned there. And Waterson's a good mat wrestler and she, you know, she has a background, you know, in submissions, but she's had a problem with women who are much less strong than Herrig is, which makes it particularly concerning for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just I, honestly I don't think water I don't I expected a lot from Waterson when she first came to the UFC, and I think I kind of just misjudged how much of a problem she was going to have at a higher weight class. You know, the, there was all this talk for implementing new weight classes in the UFC and all this. They were, we were talking about, you know, 165 pounds before. The UFC is not putting in an atom weight division. There's not mm-hmm. going to be 105 pound yeah. women's They belt. could hardly market Ioana and Rose in the strawweight division. They're having it's, a heck of a time with yeah. this flyweight division. They don't have any, you know, adding divisions in, on the women's side has been challenging for the UFC. Yeah, it's lately. not happening. So, um, you know, this is up to if, you know, if Waterson wants to make an impact in the UFC, um, you know, it's going to have to happen at this weight class. And, you know, I've seen enough from her the last, you know, couple of years that I'm worried that, you know, she's just not going to be able to make up the size. And, you know, Herrig, as far as height, Herrig is only an inch taller. She has a three inch reach advantage. But, you know, if you just look at, you know, you can't measure it, but if you just look at the pure strength of the two, mm-hmm. you know, Herrig is probably twice as strong as Waterson is. And, you know, it doesn't lead, it doesn't always lead to, you know, entertaining fights and, you know, it leads to a lot of decisions and not a lot of stoppages. But it's, you know, pretty straightforward in the sense that Waterson probably isn't going to be able to get up to the mat, get up from the mat if Harry gets her there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me personally, I just don't see a lot of passive victory for Waterson. 
she's not going to finish her with strikes. If the thing goes to the mat, we've you know we've beat down we've beat on uh, Herrig's upper body strength. They could roll and transition, and maybe Waterson could catch an arm. That's entirely possible. Um, and there is some odds value if you buy that. She's only plus one ten and seventy nine hundred. Of course, you get eighty three hundred and change for every fighter in your lineup on average. So it helps clear up a little bit of salary. I just have a tough time doing that because I don't see a path to victory. Now I will say that seven writers, six of them picked Herrig. The one person that picked Waterson. Uh, I, I'm, I'm good. I'll do this quick plug for the guys. So they do this fight IQ show, uh, Fridays. It's a live chat thing at eight Eastern on the road YouTube channel. The one guy out of all, our whole team that picked Watterson happens to be the seventh ranked MMA and DFS player in the world. So maybe he's onto something. He's been a little bit of a savant whisperer kind of with, uh, especially the ladies fights on DraftKings lately. I, I don't know what it is with him. He picked Watterson when what he thinks is a very close fight. I don't, I don't know if that'll necessarily mean he has a lot of exposure to him, but that pick does carry some weight despite, you know, a very heavy leaning towards Herrig. So we're all with her. You and me can agree on this one, John. I'm not sure I'm using Herrig on DraftKings, though. I mean, plus 300 odds to finish doesn't make me feel great. What about you? Nah, I mean, I I would wager. I think that's right. I would wager this goes the distance. And, you know, I think a, a Waterson win would essentially be Herrig just getting sloppy on the ground and giving her a chance to grab an arm or grab a leg or something like that. You know, not impossible, but, you know, if you're playing the odds, certainly less than 50-50. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're through the main card here. Uh, we're going to talk some value plays. I think there's one more fight that you wanted to talk about that you get one of your value plays with. So we can go straight into our DraftKings value play thing, each throw out a couple names. Um, but there's one fight. Uh, it's a flyweight fight on the Fox Sports 1 prelims that you think uh, you can get a little bit of value out of one of the guys in there? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, for me, that's UCA Formiga um, going up against Anthony Pe- uh, Anthony Pettis, Sergio Pettis. Sergio, yep. um, one of us was going to do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they don't fight on the same card very often. Actually, I think they said they don't like fighting on the same card, but they are here. Um, Sergio's 8,600. You know, UCA is 7,600. Now, I have, I have, I'm the first one to admit, I have not been the biggest Sergio Pettis fan over the years. He's probably better than I think he is in the sense that I don't give him as much credit as I should. And there's no doubt that he's fought better recently. Mm-hmm. You know, he split decision, Joseph Benavidez. He's four and one in his last five fights. And um, I'm sorry, five and one in his last six fights. And the only loss in that span was to Henry Cejudo, who is now the UFC flyweight champion. Mm-hmm. So, um, Sergio Pettis is certainly he's certainly a good fighter. Um, he has a ton of experience against high level competition for a kid who only turned twenty five years old in August. You know he's he's been fighting you know the best fighters in the world for you know several years now, and he's still just a kid. But um, Formiga for me is one of those guys who's perennially underrated. Um, he's lost if you go back to twenty twelve. He's lost four times: John Dodson, Joseph Benavidez, Cejudo. And Ray Borg. Formiga is just, he's tough, he's gritty, and he's a world-class wizard on the mat. Ten career wins via submission. The only knock I have against Formiga, and it's a concern, is that he has zero knockout power. As in, yeah. he's if, at 26. If you're picking per- him, you're, you're hoping on that's a submission bonus, really, right? Yeah, I, you know, you're you're hoping he can control the f- control the fight on the mat. You know, it's it's crazy. Formiga's had 26 career fights. He doesn't have a single win by knockout, which is hard to believe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's another stat we don't have on hand. But you know, there are you're not. We're talking find- these these guys are flyweights, so you're not going to see a ton of knockout power. I mean, 17 wins. Sergio Pettis only has three knockouts. Yeah, but it, it's – I mean you, you don't find many fighters who go 30, 26 fights deep without a single knockout. Now, he doesn't have much knockout power, 
but he's a good enough, you know, he's not a total, a total zero in the striking game. And all he, Formiga really needs, he's such a, he's so good on the ground that all he really needs to do is just keep his opponents honest and let his grappling take him the rest of the way. So, um, you know, this for me, uh, when I looked at the salaries, seem lopsided you know this for me would you know essentially be a pick em. you know maybe a pettis hundred dollars more two hundred dollars more something like that mm-hmm. but certainly not a thousand dollars more yeah i'm surprised this wasn't one of those eighty two hundred eight thousand dollar fights because you have yeah, to go that, that's all, what i figured yeah, about you have, that yeah, you have to go all the way back to 2016 for sergio pettis to have scored more than 64 DraftKings points in a fight and maybe that's okay on cash games but at 8600 his ceiling just doesn't seem that high from a fantasy standpoint here, and I don't think you're going to be able to win a hundred grand this weekend if you use Pettis at, at eighty six hundred. Even if he does win, you know, let's say he he gets the decision, the odds to finish are plus two thirty. He gets the decision. Probably a best case scenario for him is maybe seventy five DraftKings points. Is that enough value points per dollar at eighty six hundred dollars? Now, not that I don't like Pettis as a fighter. I've respected what I respect very much what he's been able to do. I don't like him as a fantasy play on this card, though, and, and just for that reason, Formiga is one of the guys that I'm using for some salary relief. That 7600 that can do something for you. Yeah, so I mean, uh, one other value play I was looking at was Tanya Evinger at 8000 versus Aspen Ladd at 8200 and this is essentially a case of Ladd's inexperience. She only has six professional fights against the experience of Evinger, who is really one of the true pioneers of women's MMA. You know, her first UFC fight came against Chris Cyborg. She obviously didn't win, but Evinger is as tough as they come. She is extremely well-versed in all aspects of the sport. You know, she's not going to beat herself. And, you know, when you see, you know, an underdog like that against a fighter with a relative, relatively little experience, you know, it's it's just a wise gamble in my mind. Now, I think 8000 is a more than fair price for Avenger. Um, The odds to finish on that fighter plus 165, which I would agree with. So, you know, there's a pretty decent chance you're going to get 15 minutes, you know, worth of, you know, worth of time to rack up some points. I don't think Avengers got getting knocked out. So at the very least, you're going to get three rounds out of her, which is, you know, an opportunity to score some points. So I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, Avenger made it through about two and a half rounds against Cyborg and she got obliterated for most of it. And she ended up hanging out, you know, she ended up lasting that long. So, you know, if she could last that long with Cyborg, I think she could last 15 minutes with Aspen Ladd. Mm-hmm. Right there with you. I want to point out one odds value play. I mean, if you, if you, if you look at the numbers, I mean, you're technically getting odds value from McGregor for sure. Watterson, uh, Formiga, we talked about, um, but the best odds value in terms of the line movement that I've been tracking, that's kind of where I come in with the value play here. Um, and I hate doing this on DraftKings, but good DraftKings players do this sometimes, is recognize when they need to get exposure to a kind of under-the-radar fight. And the very first fight on this card is Ryan LaFleur against Tony Martin. Tony Martin, he was a fighter that opened, let's see here, he opened as a plus 185 dog, so right around when the uh, salaries came out. Uh, so he's so he's 7,400, and then he gets a guy in uh, LaFleur who's 8,800, and now all of a sudden the line moves, it tightens up. Uh, Martin goes from plus 185 to plus 10 to plus 115 in that range, which is pretty dang close to a pick'em fight in this situation. Now, so the odds value is there. Now, like I said, you know, Martin's a younger guy. He, but he took 
Olivier Aubin Mercer to decisions. So he's got he's got some reps. He's got some experience here. Uh, the odds to finish on this fight definitely not great. Some of the worst on the card, plus two seventy five. So that limits your upside. But I was saying earlier in the show, John, there are only twelve fights on this card, and I couldn't go through this card and you know it gets a little better when we get to the pay-per-view portion but i couldn't go through this card and pick out five fights where i go yep that's going to end in a finish that's going to end in a finish that's going to end in a finish i can't pick five of them with a high degree of certainty so one of these guys is i mean you have six fighters in your lineup so you're going to probably end up with one decision the hundred thousand dollar winner might even end up with one decision it depends uh how it goes if you can get 75 points out of someone who's you know i mentioned 75 points being the, the ceiling for someone like sergio pettis if you can get 75 points out of a guy that costs you 7400 that's where i'm going and this is mostly math based as opposed to instinct based but definitely that plays a role in any kind of a dfs so who knows john maybe there's something there yeah, you know, the only reason I actually I like LaFlair. I mean, two reasons. One, he's a fellow Long Island kid, so, you know, you got to love him. But he's a good wrestler. Antonio Martin's career takedown defense is barely above 50%. So um, I think LaFlair has the potential to kind of grind on Martin a lot like um, we think Herrig is going to on Waterson. But um, there, it's, you know, it's. It's a this is a deep card. It's you know pretty much so you got five main card fights, four on the prelims, and then three on fight pass. So, you know, and all of them have fighters who, you know, are fairly well known. None of them are bad fights. I mean, Yana Kunitskaya fought Cyborg last, and she's on the fight pass prelims. I think I think Lena Landsberg did too, didn't she? I think Uh, they both did. Landsberg fought Cyborg when they were trying to do that weird catchweight thing with Cyborg and get down to one forty. That horrible business. But uh, yeah, they're just uh, they're. Both no, and Landsberg I, you know, and Kunitskaya are, are back to Bantamweight now. And, you know, Gray, Gray Maynard and Nick Lentz are on the prelim, early prelims. You know, Gray Maynard should have been retired. But, you know, again, guys who are well-known, you know, not total zeros, you know, which you get in some of these fights. So, you know, it's a deep card, you know, not a ton of fights where you kind of can't make a case, you know, for either. You know, I wouldn't take Turner against Luque. Um, but I guess that's really the only fight that you straight up look at and say no. So, you know, that's the kind of that's the kind of card you look at, and it's the kind of card that allows you to make multiple lineups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe they'll surprise us, and there'll be some more finishes than the numbers suggest. But excellent partying words from John. Thanks again so much for uh, joining me today. Always a pleasure breaking down these fights with you. Hopefully we can win you guys some money. If someone wins the hundred grand out there, please tweet us. Please let us know. Uh, I'm at Jakeski52. You can find John at J O N L I T T E R I N E. Again, almost all of our RotoWire content uh, on RotoWire MMA is free. If you want to try any of the subscriber stuff, we made a cool lineup builder tool that's kind of in beta right now. You can always check that out. RotoWire.com/free for a free 10-day trial. But I mean, heck, we got Champions League soccer, NFL football, hockey just started, basketballs around the corner, playoff baseball. There's not better, too many better times in the sports year to come and check us out at rotowire.com but as far as far as us john and i we're going to go ahead wish you all the best of luck with this card thank you again for tuning in best thing you can do to help us out outside of signing up for rotowire of course is to rate and review the pod on uh, on itunes um, otherwise we're going to be back with you for ufc 230 november 3rd madison square garden we touched on that in the beginning but uh we'll break that down in much further depth another great card coming up john enjoy the card this this weekend thanks again for joining me yeah no problem well we're not going to like the main event but we'll be here to break it down yeah most definitely at least we'll like the main event this saturday so thanks again for tuning in everybody
tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.